I don't know. It kind of reminds me, isn't there a Batman movie where he straps missiles? We've already talked about this. He's like, one of the villains straps missiles to the backs of penguins. So, I mean. Oh my god, was it, was it Penguin? Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the second time we've talked about this on this podcast. And I have not watched that whole movie and I don't really like Batman movies that much. Welcome to Bonifax, a quasi-educational, and I think it can be fully educational, quasi-humorous or fully wow discussion of animal facts that you hopefully didn't already know. I'm Grace. Oh, and I'm Mads. Hello. Today, <laughs> I wanted to talk about moles. Yes! I know. <laughs> I didn't think they would be this cool, but I actually found a lot of information on them. And they're pretty awesome. One question. Yes. Are you going to talk about the golden mole? Yes, I will. Excellent. Okay, continue, please. I'm very excited. Okay. So before we get to golden moles, I was just going to talk about regular old eastern moles. So those are the ones that um, you find in North America. Your cat might bring them in or something. I don't know. Nope. Or not, probably if you're not in New York City, your cat will bring you moles. So if you think about, like, what moles have to deal with, they're underground a lot. And so Mm -hmm. scientists were wondering how they adapted to living in really low oxygen level environments. So usually the atmospheric content of oxygen is 21%. And then carbon dioxide, which is toxic when it's at high levels, is less than 1%. But underground, oxygen can get down to 14.3%, and carbon dioxide can be as high as 5.5%. Wow. Yeah, so they looked at this, these moles, and they're like, oh, maybe they're just really good at carrying around oxygen in their blood. But actually, it's the opposite. They're really, really good at carrying carbon dioxide. Mm. Yeah, which is pretty cool. It's different than other animals they've looked at. And I didn't really understand all the biochemistry that went into it, but they're missing a molecule that binds to another molecule so they can store more carbon dioxide. That's a really bad explanation. But um, So that I thought that was pretty cool. And then another thing about eastern moles is they can smell in stereo. So each nostril can tell, like, you know how we have two ears and you can say, like, I know the sound is coming from that direction or I know the sound is coming from that direction because we have two ears. Mm-hmm. They can do the same thing with their nostrils. Wow. Yeah, just <laughs> pretty crazy. Like, they did experiments where... They put earthworms in this little arena, and then the mole had to find the earthworm. And so they usually just make a beeline for it. But if you do things like plug up one nostril, like if you plug up the left nostril, they'll veer to the right. Hmm. Or if you plug up the left nos- or the right nostril, they'll veer to the left because they smell in stereo. 
question. What do you think they plug up their noses with? Uh, they said, like, small plastic tubes. My, my. Yeah, and then they did things like, I don't know how they did this, but they switched which nostril was getting what smell, and so then they were just, like, they couldn't find it. They were going, like, crazy trying to find it, but their sides were mixed up, so it was hard for them to find the earthworms. Hmm. So as far as they know, there's not really... I don't know if they found another mammal that does this. For now, it might just be these eastern moles. Really? Yeah, which is pretty cool. Or I guess it's probably other moles as well. So that's what I had on the eastern mole. Then there's another mole, um, the star-nosed mole. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of these guys. Star-nosed? Yeah, star-nosed. So instead of like, when you think of a mole, you think of having a little beanie nose. So these guys, they have 22 little nubs that come off their nose that makes it look like a star. What? Yeah, you should look at a picture. So they have these little finger-like nubs that come off their nose. So there's like 11 on each side that form this flower pattern, I guess, or star-shaped pattern around their nose. Oh my god, that is a terrifying... <laughs> okay. Sorry. It looks like, did you ever watch Stranger Things? Oh, yeah. You know the, the monster? I forget what it's called in Stranger Things, though, in season one. Like, that is the Demogorgon. That is 1,000% what it looks like in the face, head, mouth, nose thing. Well. That is horrifying. Things were bigger, and we were the size of its prey. It probably would be terrifying. Oh, great. Yeah, because... Those little, those little projections are covered with things called Emer's organ. Um, so they're just really sensitive to touch. So these scientists compare their nose to like our eye because they're very, very good at using those projections to tell exactly where things are. So they actually they're very bad at smelling. Wait, what? <laughs> they're really bad at smelling. They just use their nose to feel like little fingers. Uh, uh. <laughs> when they're moving around, they're just kind of, they move their heads back and forth a couple times per second, trying to detect prey. And so they can eat bigger things like earthworms, but a lot of the time, because they can't smell and find where things are, like the eastern moles, they just have to eat what they come across. And because they're doing that, they've developed a way to react very, very quickly so they've done studies on how long it takes them to moles to identify and eat their prey. Um, so they are eating little insects and stuff. And the fastest was 120 milliseconds Whoa. for them to find and eat the prey. So that's a little over one-tenth of a second. The average was 227 milliseconds in the study. To give you a comparison... Humans, for them to react to a visual stimulus, like someone's throwing a baseball at your face or something, <laughs> it takes 250 milliseconds for you just to react. Wow. These animals are finding the prey and eating it in that time, like faster than that time. Yeah. So they think it's probably the limit of how fast animals can react. That's insane. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it has a funny-looking nose for a reason. Yeah, that's a very kind word for it. But they say, like, the one of the reasons they think it's reaching the limit is because it does make mistakes sometimes. Mm. And, like, the way it reacts when it makes a mistake is like, oh, you reacted too quickly in the amount of times where it does a double take. That's what I had on our North American moles. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I did find some pretty cool stuff on the golden moles. If you remember, listeners, um, we talked about golden moles a little bit in a previous episode because they're related to Tenrex. So they're not really related to... The the moles in North America are related to... more closely related to shrews. These golden moles are not related to shrews. And then there's some marsupial moles in Australia, and they look similar. They're both a golden color. They don't have eyes, so their skin has grown over their eyes. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It looks kind of cute in a weird way, I think. Even though they look very similar, those moles aren't related, because one is a marsupial, and one is related to Tenex. So I found some information on the Namib golden mole so lives in the Namib desert in Africa and I guess the marsupial mole also lives in the desert so that's probably why they look similar because they're digging around in sand and so these guys are weird because they live in a desert and because they're digging they have even weirder adaptations so these guys are what are what are called thermoconformers So that means that they, like, we have a set temperature, and if we are not at, what is it, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, it's bad. These guys, because it takes energy to maintain a a temperature, their body allows them to more closely, I guess, go whatever temperature it is in the ambient environment. So when the researchers were doing the study, they found the... The moles ranged from 13.2 to 36.88 degrees Celsius. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because it gets really cool and really hot in the desert. So let's see. Oh, I should have changed this to Fahrenheit. I can do that right now. Well, 36.8, that's close to, I think we're about 37. So that's about our temperature. And then 13, I think, is in the... 50s. It's 55. So that's not too... Like, there's other animals that fluctuate in temperature, but this is... This is just something interesting about them. Mm-hmm. And then the point of the study that I was reading, I was reading the original paper, was just to look at how they used up energy. So these guys, since they're digging in sand, they call it sand swimming because they can't actually make a tunnel. Huh. Because they're digging around in sand dunes. And so, most of the time, actually, they're not digging in the sand. They're running on top of it, and then they have to dive down to find an insect to eat. Because <laughs> they found it's 26 more times expensive to dig wow. than to run. But... Wow! Yeah. But they're still using up less than a tenth of the energy that other digging animals use when they're digging through regular compacted soil. Huh. Because it's sand or, like, something about their bodies specifically? Because it's sand. 
Compared to other animals, other mammals that eat insects, they use about a fifth of the of that energy. Mm-hmm. But the best part of this study, and I think you'll like this, so they are doing all these experiments where they go out and they're like, oh, let's look at their tracks. How often did they dig down? How often did they come up? And they also brought them into the lab and made them, them run in wheels to see how much energy they'd expend between digging and running. But for their wheels, they used cooking containers. <laughs> Do you know the Kielsen cookies? Mm. Like, they come in tins. They have little shapes. Wait, how do you spell it? K-J-E-L-D-S-E-N. Oh. You know what they are. Like, yes. Yeah, these moles are so small that they made the wheels out of those. <sighs> and had them run in them. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah, it's really cute. So I just filled these up with, like, one of them they were just running in a wheel, and then one of them they filled them up with sand, and they just had them dig in the wheel. Oh my god. It must have been so cute. Also, it may frustrating, but, um, very cute. So, yeah, that was a lot of physi- physiology today. Because <laughs> I think that's what people are interested in when they study moles. Yeah, well, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just so weird to think of these animals that just spend all their time underground, and it's so weird. But pretty cool, too. I just want to be really clear. I'm sorry. Like, I... We all know I love animals. This star-nosed mole is really... It's really... It's tough to love. I'm gonna just say it. It's tough to... I mean... It just looks like it has two hands coming out of its face, and no picture that I've seen shows it with any other, like, features at all, except for its creepy little hands. And I'm just like, this is so gross. It does have a little eye. You can't see it. You just can't see it in any of these photos. I know. Most of the the, um, photos are just close-up of the nose. Yeah, it's really... Do you remember that uh, Pan's Labyrinth? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking about that too, my friend. Yeah, that, it doesn't remind me of Stranger Things. It reminds me of Pan's Labyrinth, where that monster held its hands up to its face. Its face, and the hands had eyes in them. Yes, which is actually very appropriate, because all the papers are like, this nose is like its eye! <laughs> Do they call it the Pale Man? I think that's his name in the movie. No, God. They, they don't write that in scientific papers. <laughs> they don't. You say that, and yet they name animals a lot of very silly things. So let's not pretend. Starno's mole fits the bill, though. It's to the point. Describes it very well. Well, now I'm just looking at pictures of this thing from Pan's Labyrinth, and I'm so grossed out and sad and scared. Go back to looking at the golden mole. Okay, I never was. <laughs> that was my mistake. Oh, oh. I know. The golden mole looks like... It's so cute. It looks like a little gopher, and it has this little pink round nose. And these big old hands. And yeah, but they don't have scary looking claws. They just have little dainty claws. It looks like a little stuffed animal, honestly. 
It does. I think the last time we talked about it, you called it, it looked like a Pokemon. And then you were like, I shouldn't compare animals to fictional things. Well, I want people to get more excited about animals than Pokemon. But I mean, (laughs) I guess like, yeah, this thing looks kind of like Diglett. (laughs) Diglett, but golden and way cuter. Oh, yes. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's all I have on moles. All right. Well, thank you. That was that was very interesting. It really makes you think, right, that, like, any animal you talk about could have all these unknown parts to it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Speaking of getting excited about animals. All animals are amazing. It's just you don't always know what to look for or what is amazing at first glance. 100%. Hopefully that's the one thing you walk away from this podcast, whether or not you actually retain any of the interesting animal facts, but you just retain the fact that animals are interesting. Yeah, that's fine with me. Me too. All right. So for me, I have two stories that are whale related. The first one's really short, so I'm just going to throw it in there. This happened in 2015 in Australia. This person named Robin Malcolm was on a whale watching trip near New South Wales in Australia. And he was like taking photos of the whales. Things were happening really quickly. And he got a photo of a seal hitching a ride on the back of a humpback whale. Oh. <laughs> I'll just describe this photo. We'll post it. But, uh, you know, whales whales don't breach that much above the water, right? So it just looks like this lone seal standing on its four, whatever, very erect on this tiny, tiny, tiny island. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like a seal surfing on the back of a whale. And it's really funny. So... When he realized he got the photo, he, I guess, contacted or was contacted by the Sydney Morning Herald, and he got a lot of claims that the photo was fake, and he said, I don't even know how to use Photoshop, (laughs) and that he still had it on his camera to prove it. And then they had someone from New South Wales National Parks, Jeff Ross, who is a whale expert, tell the newspaper that... Though such an interaction is rare, it's not unheard of. And the quote from Jeff Ross was, The only other time I've heard of this happening was a seal trying to get away from a killer whale. The seal hopped on the back of the pectoral fins of a humpback whale. Hmm. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's a great photo to look at. You're just like, what is going on? That was my tiny, tiny whale story. Okay, and then my other whale story, which is longer, is about a beluga whale. Okay. Who showed up in a Norwegian port city in what appears to be a high-profile defection. This beluga whale might be a Russian spy. What? So the Norwegian Directorate of Fisheries official... Jorgen Rewig, I'm sure I'm slaughtering that name, I apologize, said that this beluga was the first thing he saw outside of the window of his patrol ship in the morning. He was from the city of Hammerfest and said that the whale had only moved about 25 nautical miles within the past week and appeared to be enjoying 
proximity to humans, which he noted was kind of strange for a beluga. Mm-hmm. And Norway's police security service confirmed. So this was this is in May. This happened this year, this month oh. in May. They confirmed a few days later that the whale was still cruising around the city of Hammerfest. This is all weird because belugas are normally white belugas are normally social animals and gather in groups, but are generally very shy when approached by humans or other animals and tend to just kind of like get out of there. But because they are social, if they find themselves isolated, they can become more trusting. But this specific white beluga was allowing locals to pet its nose and was actually coming up to fishermen's boats and kind of harassing the boats. (laughs) And then... So, was it like a captive? Well, when they looked closer, they noticed there was a strange harness wrapped around its body. (gasps) And on the harness, there was an inscription that said... Equipment St. Petersburg. <gasps> and so they handed the harness over to the local police security service of Norway. Yeah. And so the the security service has that, but they let the whale go. And <laughs> that group, the security service said, the harness is currently in our possession. We must admit that examining technical equipment attached to whales is not a daily occurrence. It is unclear if we will find anything. <laughs> but this spokesperson offered reassurance to the beluga's rapidly growing fan base, saying, quote, The whale is not a suspect in our investigation. For now. <laughs> oh. Guesses about what was on the harness. Maybe it could have been, like, weapons or cameras or who knows. But apparently there has been speculation about a sea mammal special ops program that the Russian Navy is believed to have been pursuing for a few years. And though the Russian Defense Ministry has denied the existence of any such program, they also published an ad in 2016 seeking three male and two female bottlenose dolphins for $24,000. Well, if you, okay, if you had some kind of operation like that, would you tell people? No. No, obviously not. Yeah, so they don't know what's going on, but what they did say is that you gotta act quickly to make sure this beluga's not injured. It had clearly been trained under the care of humans for a really long time, so it might not be able to survive without being fed by humans, and then also because it was a lot more social, it was more likely to be coming up to these boats and, like, be attracted by sounds and by motors and, like, might get hurt. What was the first boat it was falling around? Was it just a fishing boat? Yeah, fisher fishermen's boats. Oh. Yeah, so as of a couple weeks ago, they said that Norwegian officials were working on a possible evacuation plan. One option was to take the beluga whale to a sanctuary in Iceland. <laughs> Just because, like, you know, they don't have a lot of confidence about its ability to survive in the wild. Oh, they really want out of the country, huh? Yeah, I was going to say it's, like, 1,200 miles away. I know. Like, not going to risk it. <laughs> well, you know, all these countries are pretty small, right? So there might not be a whale sanctuary in every single one of them. I mean, Iceland's pretty small. Jeez. Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe they, like, take turns who gets to have what sanctuary for what animal. Oh, 
Iceland as a beluga sanctuary and then other Well, whales generally. I'm just being dumb. Let me have it. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I think Norway is a lot bigger than Iceland. I just think it's, you know. A little shady. Yeah, I really don't want it in Norway anymore. It's poor whale. I know. There's some cute pictures of the whale also. So the question is, do you think the whale is a spy? <gasps> this gets, okay, this is the political part of our podcast. <laughs> do you think is the whale a spy? Do I think the whale is a spy? No. Do I think the whale was potentially being used for spying purposes? Oh, yes. 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 No, I don't think the whale is like... <laughs> I know. I just want to be very clear that no one's blaming the whale. No, we do not blame the whale on this podcast. <laughs> okay, we've talked about so many bizarre things on, on this show, this thing that we're doing. Not only that, but we've talked about so many instances of, like, or at least I have, I think, of, like, militaries trying to use animals in these very strange ways. Pigeons, bombs, chickens. Right, the chickens. <laughs> yeah, so I would not be surprised. And also, actually, further in this article, it talks about how the U.S. actually had uh, its own mammal weaponizing spying programs back in the day, so I wouldn't be shocked, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the big mistake was putting a harness on it that said <gasps> property of St. Petersburg. <laughs> you really can't argue with that. You just can't argue with that. Because if it's... Okay, if it was not meant to be used for spying, you'd think someone would be like, hey, we lost a whale. <laughs> whale, please return it to us. Nobody said that, unless someone is afraid of losing their job. But you know if a whale is gone, there's no way that you have so many people you're not missing one. Yeah, it's a hard thing to imagine. So somebody, yes, I think so. But why you put, why put the harness on it? Like... Maybe, maybe it wasn't supposed to get out of Russian waters or something. I don't know. Russian men find it and say, like, oh, let's we'll send it back to St. Petersburg. But <laughs> Well, what's funny is they don't say whether equipment of St. Petersburg on the harness was written in Russian or not. Oh. oh it's just so weird. It's so weird. Where is St. Petersburg? It's not on St. Petersburg. Oh, I guess St. Petersburg is on the coast. I was going to say. I thought it was central, but okay. Oh, wait, no, that's St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only St. Petersburg I've been to. Yeah, I guess St. Petersburg's on the Gulf of Finland, so. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Ooh, that thing traveled a long way to get to Finland. Or Norway, sorry. But that's why, like... You notice there's, like, no, nobody wants to return the beluga to St. Petersburg. Uh, I love this story. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. I'm so glad. Well, also, too, if you Google where Hammerfest is, it's on, like, the northern tip of Norway. Mm. I don't know. Either it went all the way around, or they released it on the northern side of Russia, which might make a lot more sense distance Is Hammerfest, like, it's a port city, but is there anything, like, I don't know, 
anything to spy on? I don't know. I mean, what's the goal? What was the goal? I don't know. Clearly they failed. Whatever the goal was, they failed the goal. So Yeah, I think they did. The Wikipedia page says um, economy and tourism, transportation, reindeer problems. <laughs> so population 10,000. So not that big. Mm-mm. It looks like a very nice place. <laughs> well, good. I'm very pleased you like that. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Beluga whale spy. We turn this like whole podcast and the the military doing zany things with animals. I'd be okay with that. Some of them would be sad, I guess. Yeah. This one is just zany. This one is zany. I mean, I think it's funny because it seems like most of the time they fail. Which is kind of what I like about it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So this has been Fauna Facts, the podcast with Grace and Mads. If you would like to access visuals for this, you can find us on Instagram at Fauna Facts Podcast. Or if you don't have Instagram, you can find us on Blogger at faunafactspodcast.blogspot.com. And please subscribe, rate us five stars, uh, give us, send us reviews in person, on the internet. We also have an email handle if you want to send us any animal facts or you can email them to us normally. But podcast-specific email is faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. I know. You can sense the trend here. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.